Not the AFC, but it's two conferences in the NFL. There's the AFC and there's the NFC. So with both conferences, you have to get people who know the conferences. Now, obviously, Uh, AFC, but I'm the host, so I can do what I want. But anyway, guys, representing the Big Easy and the New Orleans Saints, we have for the fourth time, this is the fourth NFC preview show, but for the fourth time doing this, Matt Beast has been the constant on this show every single year. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, drinking on some prime, not a sponsor, hashtag. Um, but yeah, we're doing we're doing all right. Football season's right around the corner. Um, preseason just ended, so we're almost there. And you know what? It's We're not alone. It's not just Matt and I. For as much as I love Matt, it's not just him and I. I think it's the big bucks out here. Because why? Because out of all the teams in the NFC, there's one team last year that made a lot of noise that no one saw coming, but they're here now. So give it up. Representing the New York Giants, we have the one and only trust fund benefactor, Jared Silverclight. Gentlemen, let's get this show on the road. Let's. Oh. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to jump right into it because I feel like this team – it's like the complete opposite of like optimism and hope. And that's the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West. It's just like, <laughs> rip, it's, it's rip the bandaid off because the more I look in, look into this and listen to it, I'm more or less convinced that it's just, there is no hope. It's like one of those things like where, Hey, you can hope for hope or you can hope for like success. But like with them there, there's none of that. No, <laughs> no, there, there, there really isn't. I mean, this is uh, pretty much as close to a lock for a top five pick in next year's draft as there could possibly be. I mean, you want to talk about a team that is just throwing in the towel early, taking the L, unloading what they can. Um, there, there truly is a low ceiling for this team. But it's a mix of that and it's a mix of like, when you bring in a guy, Josh Dobbs, who, like, we know he's not that good for a trade, mm-hmm. when, and we'll get into this for a second, you're stockpiling picks and trading away a player on his fourth year deal, and as Isaiah Simmons for a seventh round pick. That's it's right. What a steal. <laughs> that's the thing, though, where it's just like from New York's perspective, it's a great trade. Don't get me wrong. You gave up nothing to get him. But for Arizona, it's a simple, yeah, we don't want anything to do with you. We know we're going to be bad, so let's just do this. But then my question for the two of you with them this year is, do you even bother playing Kyler? I mean, at this point, it seems like uh, they're not really worried about getting him out there as soon as possible. I mean, he's starting off the year on the pup. And, uh, I mean, hey, uh, I kind of benefacted from it because uh, in a dynasty draft I'm in, he fell all the way to the eighth round somehow, and I said bet. Um, But, yeah, I mean – it. If I had to think about it, they might just try to prolong him not playing and be like, hey, you don't have to go out there and play and hurt yourself and da-da-da. And, I mean, at the end of the day, if they end up with that number one pick, what are they going to do with Kyler? Are they going to get Kayla Williams? I know Kyler just got his deal, so what's going to happen? I'm sure if they wanted to trade Kyler, there'd be people that want him. But um, at the end of the day, he's starting off on the pup, and they just traded for the quarterback, as you said, Josh Dobbs. And that looks like – Either him or the rookie, they're going to end up playing one of the two for a little while, but we'll just see how it shakes out for him with Kyler. I believe he's a two-lane player as well, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. If I, yeah. Clayton named that tune. Um, I just look at – but here's the other thing, too, I think, with Kyler. I know everyone's kind of, like, a little bit down on him, obviously coming off the ACL, but say if they want to go the Caleb Williams route, if they get the number one overall pick, you're going to get a good deal back for Kyler. You're going to get at least, I think, a first-round pick back for him because it's mm-hmm. either – 
for as much as this class is good, Kyler has shown that like when he's on his game, he can be a good quarterback. So I feel like, look, he will get a – there's another quarterback in the NFC too we'll talk about in a minute. But with a guy like Kyler, it's not like it's just going to go for chump change. I feel like he's going to go for what people thought they would fetch for D-Hop all the way back in January when we knew that they were trying to get rid of him. Yeah, Kyler's definitely young enough where there's still, I mean, plenty of long time uh, to be had with his career. Um, even though I feel like, you know, the last few years there have been hiccups. Uh, there's been moments where he's been uh, what I call borderline, you know, high level where I mean, we've seen flashes of greatness. And then we've seen games where um, he looks as bad as a bottom 10. Um, you know, you think back to that playoff game against the Rams, for example. Um, but there's, I mean, the guy's still, what, like, you know, 26 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a double-edged sword in terms of not playing him, right? Because, yeah. you know, obviously last year, right, you know, he missed some time. But even when he was healthy, uh, it was, you know, arguably his worst year in the league. Um, well, not even arguably. But you kind of worry about the stock plummeting a little bit if you're seeking multiple firsts. I do think that he would be able to fetch at least one unless there's some kind of catastrophic injury this year. So that's the concern in playing him. But at the end of the day, I mean, you see in this league all the time. Um, I mean, I think quarterbacks, there's, it's a little bit more forgiving than it is for running backs and wide receivers. But when you, you, you spend time away, I mean, your stock plummets so fast. It's a young league. There's always new guys that are hungry. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really subscribe to the theory of hold him out. I mean, certainly don't rush him back. I mean, I don't really expect him to play – um, you know, probably the first couple of weeks of the season at this point. But I do think that if he's healthy, he's going to play the majority of games. I, mean, I do think he risks, you know, there's a risk of him being kind of exposed a little bit uh, just with the thin weapons that he's now dealing with. But he should still fetch some value. I, I do, I would imagine that the Cardinals, if they have that first overall pick, um, you, you know, I mean, it's a question, you know, what do you do? Do you trade the pick for a haul? Do you trade Kyler for a haul? It probably makes the most sense when you're a team that's in the position that the Cardinals are in, where there's (coughs) retooling to be done, you could really use that money. So I would imagine they're going to look to deal him. And, you know, they they should probably – I mean, if he plays better than expected this year with the supporting cast that he's been dealt with, maybe it's a multiple first scenario. I know that's what Arizona's hoping for, but I'd say this is probably his last year with the Cardinals. Um, before we get into other details, I just wanted to look up quickly, like, hey, what does their weaponry look like? And, like, the running back room right now is James Conner, who we obviously all know. Something called an Amari Dermarcado. No idea who that is. I, I think that that's uh, – I think you can get that at the supermarket for <laughs> you know, a 5 for 10 or something like that. He's an undrafted, <laughs> he's an undrafted <laughs> rookie from TCU. Uh, a Keontae Ingram, who is mm-hmm. a – Player, he played. He was a sixth round pick last year. Split his time between Texas and USC. And then, when it comes to wide receivers, you've got Marquise Brown, who I would put a lot of money on that he's not on the Cardinals next year. They'll probably trade him to a good team for like a fourth or a fifth round pick, even though they got him for a first. Um, Greg Dorch, fun name to say. Um, Rondell Moore, who's shown flashes but isn't really anything, and then Zach Pascal, who. Obviously, was with the I believe he was with the Eagles last year because he was with the Colts as well for a bit. Yeah. So, like you look and they there, also and, for a, yeah. Um, oh no, sorry, they, they did not. No, sorry, this this man was mentioned in trade rumors was Zach Ertz. Um, you know, at tight end, they, have, they got a, a decent tandem over there. With, with I mean, Ertz is hurt right now, but uh, Trey McBride, uh, recent high draft pick. So Jeff Swaim as well, and then uh, something called a Blake yeah. Whitehart. So 
I, the only thing with Zach Ertz, I'm pretty sure he's coming off an Achilles. Maybe an Achilles. He may have hurt his Achilles last year. Because obviously Kyler's coming off the ACL. And I most notably know that because it obviously happened against New England. But yes, he tore uh, his uh, ACL and MCL uh, last season. And he's 32. So about to turn 33. So And, and uh, he's on the second year of a three-year $31 million contract. Mm-hmm. So, fun times ahead for them. Um, anyway, moving to the next team in the division, I think this year for the Rams, this is like the swan song year where it just goes basically sideways. And by next year, it's completely burn it to the ground mentality. Basically, I think they are this year where the Arizona Cardinals are currently for the Rams. And by that, I mean, look, you have Aaron Donald, who still is an elite player, but probably on the back nine of his career. Cam Akers, like, shown promise, but I feel like doesn't fit well with L.A. And then we don't know Matt Stafford. We don't know his status. So, and with the Rams, too, their defense literally is him. And then I probably could not name you another L.A. Ram defender going into this year. I'm being honest with you. When I look at that team, I'm just like, okay, guys, you got your championship. And then I think now that F mentality, like that F them picks mentality goes right out the window. Considering last year they were 5-12, and 12, and I see a similar fate for them this year. Uh, one second. Hey, Griff, time out. Okay. Are you able to pause or something? I, I, I can do whatever I want. Why? What's up? Okay. Uh, it sounds like your mic is a little, has some static into it. And I don't know if you want that fixed or not. Are you able to hear that, Jared? I'm hearing that a little bit as well. Yeah. Matt, you're good on your side. But uh, yeah, Griff, I'm hearing a little fuzz. Mm-hmm. It's nothing overbearing, but, uh, you know, up to you if you want to continue. Okay. I'm going to try to move it away. How does this sound? Better. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not hearing anything right now. Oh, give me a second. I, yeah. I'm going to keep recording, but I'm just going to fix it in post where basically Cardinals and then we cut back. Yeah. Okay, test, test, test. One, two, and three. Test, testing, testing. Say, say like a full sentence real quick. Okay, so basically what I was saying before is with the Rams, I just don't see them being the same thing as that what they were in like 2021. They're good. Okay, yeah. cool. So we're back. Okay. Sorry, folks, we for the skip, but look, technical difficulties happen. It's just the name of the game. But anyway, I was saying this before with the Rams, I just... I just don't see a world where they get back to where they were. I just... I, I don't know what you guys think, but for me... I think this is like the last year and I feel like it's going to be instead of firings, I think it's just everyone walks away and then two people are brought in and it's like, Hey, deal with the mess. It's kind of like when you were a kid in high school and like, Oh, Hey, by the way, a uh, great party, but you got to clean this up before your parents get home. It's going to be like that similar mentality. I think with the Rams going into 2024. It's, it's a really, really young team. I mean, you hear all the uh, buzz about Matt Stafford's wife, like, Oh, he, he can't connect with his teammates now. Um, I think he's like, the sixth oldest player on the team right now. And I mean, he is a little up there in age, but I mean, there's a lot of young talent on that team, especially on the defense. Um, yeah. And- I mean, the uh, Rams are definitely, they knew what they were signing up for a couple of years ago, right? I mean, this is a team that went all in, they mortgaged the future, and they lo- they basically did what usually does not work in the NFL, which is to play fantasy football and hope to win a championship. Usually that's something that is like a, an MLB strategy. And yeah. we've seen it blow up in a lot of teams' faces in the NFL, but it worked for them. Um, now they're kind of feeling the effects of it because now they've been put in a situation where they had to move a lot of those veteran defensive pieces. So they have a very, 
very inexperienced defense pretty much across the board. I do think that there are some bright spots in the offense. I mean, there are some young receivers there with some potential. You know, your your Tutu Atwells and Ben Skaronics of the world. Uh, Van Jefferson, I think, is a little underrated with big play potential. Um, we got to see a lot of these guys because Cooper Cup got injured uh, midway through last year. So, obviously, Cooper Cup is a top five in the league when healthy. Um, running game, it's an interesting situation where – you know, Sean McVay um, obviously values the running game very heavily, but the room is looking really thin aside from Cam Akers, who they have been very non-committal toward over the last couple of years. So, um, I mean, I, I think that it's a, if Stafford stays healthy, this is a team that can compete in some games potentially, but I just see them allowing a ton of points, and they're probably going to edge out the Cardinals for, you know, third place just because – they have a little bit more of a well-rounded offense, assuming everybody stays healthy. But I'm with you guys. I don't see a winning record here. And, hey, they have something to look forward to. Next year, they finally get to pick in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> finally, after how many years? Yeah, right? <laughs> God, like 2016? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about right. So I'm also watching this baseball team play on the TV right now because that's why I moved to – I basically moved my studio, if you didn't – for people out there who don't know – from my bedroom to my basement because I was like, you know what? I want to be able to watch TV as I'm podcasting, multitasking. And the Washington Nationals are playing right now against the Jays. And the Rams are essentially what the Nationals are after they won the World Series in 2019, where everyone's just going and it's just you have all these young pieces and you don't know what to do with them. So you're kind of in that middle of the pack for now. I just want to pull up FanDuel quickly because I know the Cardinals' win totals are – so the Cardinals right now – over five, four and a half wins is plus 110 if you feel like getting frisky. But the Rams, I wanted to look this up because I was genuinely curious. The Los Angeles Rams, six and a half. I was going to guess it's six and a half because in my head, I'm like, I'd probably put the Rams at about six wins. So having that uh, at six and a half, that's a really good line. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty fair is what I'd say. I feel like the- right about where I put them. Yeah, like five. I can see them. That worst case is five and twelve, like last year. But best case, hey, they win a couple of games and they go like six and eleven or seven and ten. But I was looking at their schedule too, and like week one, they play the Seahawks on the road in Seattle. We know that's never an easy place to play. Then they play San Francisco, who they struggle against in the regular season. At the Bengals, which is a Monday night game. At the Colts, that's a win. But then they play the Eagles at home, which that's that's not a home game for the uh, for the Rams. Uh, Cardinals, Pittsburgh, and then they play a little gauntlet of Dallas, Green Bay, Seattle, and then mixed in there. Even at the end, too, their last three games of the year, or last, let's call it basically after, from their December onward, is Browns, Ravens, Commanders, Saints, Giants. San Francisco. That looks like that sounds like six losses to me. That's single one of them. Oh, and they could be no, they could be Washington. They could be Washington. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at that right there, where I'm like, there's there's no real hope and optimism for for them. I don't even. I, I feel like I, I don't even know an LA Rams fan to like comment on that. But I know one. He's pretty. He's pretty pessimistic. I mean, most fan bases, you always have your optimistic people, and then you may more or less have pessimistic people. Um, question for you guys. Do you think there is any chance, though, that Seattle does compete with San Francisco, or do you think this is a runaway division? 
Oh, I think that Seattle absolutely can compete with San Francisco. I mean, I think that here's the thing with San Francisco. Loaded roster, totally trust the coach, totally trust that they're going to be in the playoffs. But I think that we just need to pump the brakes on them being a runaway Super Bowl favorite because, you know, I, I don't think that you can look at Brock Purdy, you know, with him leading this offense and just be as confident in this team as you would be. Because you're going to compare them to all the other elite teams in the NFL and be like, oh, well, what's well, the Shanahan system? They're going to find a way. They're going to figure it out. Well, you see what happened when he went down? And how, like, not there it all was, right? So you take that compared to the Seahawks, who Geno Smith took a huge step forward last year, just got paid. Now you look at the Seahawks, you know, beefed up the receiving core. They got a three-headed monster for the time being. I mean, I don't think that it's a crazy thing to suggest that it's going to be a tight race between those teams. Yes, are, are the Niners more than just the quarterback? And did Brock Purdy play pretty decent? You know, pretty he played he played good last year. He had a good season. But I just don't think that to me, if you're gonna talk about a runaway team that's guaranteed to be just not not good, but like really great, you have to be super confident in the offense's ability to deliver week in, week out. And I don't think we're there right now with the Niners. I I, I agree with you in the sense, and I wanna say this too with the Niners. I feel like they're the one team that they can get away with stuff because they've had a lot of success recently. Like, obviously, they went to the Super Bowl, two straight conference championships. But when do you eventually get to the point and say, when are we going to get there with San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, their defense carries them. That defense is that team, literally, when you have, like, just monsters and mutants growing out of all corners and facets of any position that is on that defensive roster. Um, obviously, D'Amico Ryans is left. I like Steve Wilkes for, like, the hoorah kind of guy to kind of come in and rally the troops. I feel like they, they're they good at doing that on the defensive side of the ball. My biggest question is what are they going to be on offense? Because, look, we're getting Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy got a small sample size last year. And for as much as we like to say, yeah, they lost to Philly without him, they nearly lost to Dallas, too. They didn't just run away with that game. Obviously, they ran away against the Seahawks in the wildcard round. But Dallas had them on the ropes for a while, and it was ultimately Dallas being Dallas is what cost Dallas to do it. There's a, that's a lot of Dallas for all of you guys. But um, let's I want to go back to the guessing board of the two of you because with win totals, where do you think both teams stand right now? With San Francisco, I'd probably put them around 12, 13 wins possibly. Um, with Seattle, they're going to be really close, I think. Um, they're going to be looking around the 10, 11 win range, I'd probably, I'd probably say. It's going to be kind of a close race, I think, between those two teams. But I do think the 49ers, their roster is just built so well yeah. that even if you have someone who you picked in the very last pick of the NFL draft last year, Brock Purdy, he can go in there and have one of the highest QBRs for uh, the small sample size that he did have in the regular season last year. Um, as, I just want to say something quickly about that because – sorry to cut you off, Matt, but okay. I love how people clown on the Mac Jones – two for three, 19 yard thrown game when Jimmy Garoppolo literally threw six for eight in an NFC championship game to, and they won the game with Raheem Mostert running 200 yards in the ground. I just had to throw that out there. Um, no, I like where you are because you're over, you're actually over on both teams. San Francisco is 10 and a half and Seattle's eight and a half. I would take the overs both, wow. both teams there. Yeah, I would too. Well, with, um, hmm. It's, I mean, I would generally agree with Matt. I think that um, I, if you ask me, I definitely would order the teams, San Fran, Seattle, L.A., Arizona, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, I guess, leaning more toward um, maybe maybe 12-11, 
with 12 or 11 with the Niners. Um, I'd see Seattle probably topping out around 11. With San Francisco, I, I think it applies to both these teams. Um, you know, they have to play against the NFC East and the AFC North, which both are, you know, pretty loaded divisions. Um, I think more teams with winning records and losing records for both. So, I mean, that could be challenging. Um, I mean, I think that that's where you could see the, the five or more losses creeping in for each of those teams. I do envision this race tightening a little bit compared to last year. I think, I think uh, San Fran, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, Put their ceiling at 12 wins. I'm going to predict that as their max. I can see something like San Francisco has a couple weird losses. Like, remember, last year they lost to the Atlanta Falcons. Like, mm-hmm. so they, they, they there will be a couple of those games where San Francisco loses and everyone kind of looks at them and goes, like, what's up there? And I love how you mentioned that they're playing the NFC North because their first game of the year is in Pittsburgh. So we'll see how that fares. And I think you guys get them to, like, week three or something like that. So they're Yeah, gonna... we are, yeah, on the, yeah, yeah. On the road week three. And, and for the record, uh, I, I don't like our chances in that game. I, I think they'll probably beat us. But the uh, the rest of the division and, and, you know, that AFC, AFC North, that is just a, that whole division, they play a very physical brand of football. I, I can't see San Fran running the table on all four of those teams, especially the Bengals. Neither can I. But anyway, um, I want to save your both of your guys' divisions for last. Obviously, we'll do probably we can do we can probably do we'll do south and the one the east if that's okay with you, Matt. So we'll jump to the north. I can ask all these questions, but my main question for you guys is: Do either of you do you guys buy into the Detroit hype, or do you think that maybe it's a little little too much? Um, I think they could be pretty good. I mean. <clears throat> I trust in Dan Campbell. I trust in what uh, the Lions have. And, I mean, if there's any year that they're going to be showing any promise, uh, this could be the year. I mean, of course, the godfather of that division is out of it now. Mm -hmm. So uh, things are kind of up for grabs a little bit. I know the Vikings had a really good year last year, but so many of those games were uh, decided based on um, a one-score type deal. So you could see the Lions – the Vikings having some sort of a regression and seeing the Vikings or seeing the Lions uh, come to the forefront in that division now with that, um, because sometimes things regress to the mean. So this could be the Lions' opportunity to have a good year, and I mean, they have a good team, um, and things could be looking bright for them. The one thing I would like to point out for everybody who's saying that, oh, look, the Packers are gone now, the floor is wide open for Detroit. Look at last year. Detroit beat the Packers twice, and they still topped out at nine wins. So that means that Aaron Rodgers being gone can't make this team any better. It just—it proves that they have to get more wins elsewhere, right? Now, that being said, I don't think that you need to be a believer in the hype necessarily to believe that the Lions can make the playoffs because the Vikings, Matt, just like you pointed out, just like a lot of people are pointing out, when you win that many close games last year, mathematically, um, you know things are just due to kind of balance themselves out this year. You add in the fact that they got rid of Dalvin Cook, got a really thin running back room. Their defense was looking like a sieve at the end of last year, and it should be even worse this year. Yes, they added Jordan Addison, upgrade from Adam Thielen. I think that both the Vikings and the Lions, because the Lions were pretty sus defense as well, albeit with some more pieces, um, you know, then uh, then the Vikings have particularly up front, the front seven. 
Um, and also Brian Branch was a really, really good pick. A total see, – see, that pick actually made up for the Jameer Gibbs pick because nobody would have blinked an eye if they took him in round one. And they had, you know, a pretty sexy-looking offense at times last year, um, you know, with a, you know with Jameson Williams. Uh, I mean, you're looking forward to a full season from him, and then he gets hit with a suspension, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think with both of these teams, you're just going to be looking at a lot of – 34 to 31 shootouts and both teams are going to win some weeks. They're going to lose some weeks. And I would lean toward Detroit winning the division, but I'd say it's going to be close. I think that both teams are probably going to win around uh, maybe nine or 10 games. Maybe, maybe many uh, loses a couple more, but I'd say that that's all it's going to take to win this division. You know, the Vikings win total is only at eight and a half right now. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. I, I feel like I would take that over though. I feel like that's a team that, they're not going to go from like 13 and 4 to like 7 and 10 or 8 and 9. I feel like they'll probably top out at like 9. I feel like this will be like a 9 or 10 win team, but it's just some games that they won last year, they may not win this year. Like, for example, that goofy game against the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> they, like, like the third, like, hey, I, I, I always remember that game for one reason. I had the Colts plus three and a half, so they covered it. So you know how much I myself it. for not taking that Vikings money line at plus 3,000 live? <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing too last year. I was staring right at I said, if team is going to blow this, it's going to be the Colts. And it happened. Yep. $100 would be fetching like three grand right now. Oh, my God. Um, One thing I will say with Green Bay is, though, I feel like they're like Pittsburgh in the sense you can't count them out. Obviously, look, they don't have Aaron Rodgers anymore, but, like, I still feel like they're still a very capable team. It's just more or less up to them. Because, like, for example, like, Looking at their lines for week one when they play the Bears, the I believe the Bears are the fate yet. Yeah, the Bears are a one and a half point favorite in that game right now. And I honestly would take Green Bay as an underdog in that game because you always see this every year where some teams kind of win unexpectedly. Like one team I was off the reference for this last year, Jared, week one, Giants at Titans mm-hmm. plus five. I always remember that. That was a great bet that I made. Right. Um so with that, I look at this team, especially with the Bears this year, like that's a segue into them. I don't buy the Justin Field type. I'm sorry. I just love how everyone's expecting he's five and twenty overall. I just don't see a world where adding in DJ Moore makes your team go from three and fourteen to like making Justin Fields like a top ten quarterback, like some people are hyping him up to be. I see the Bears like maybe being if they're decently competitive and win like six or seven games, I think that's considered a winning season for them in the sense of like mentally for next year where, hey, you could take that Detroit leap, but I don't think people should be expecting them to be like hovering around the 500 mark. And I'll say this too. I think that if all goes bad for them, it's it's a new coach in there next year, 100%. I would say so, yeah. I mean, the Bears, they spent a ton of money in free agency. I mean, when you talk about adding in um, Edmonds and Edwards um, and then, you know, swinging the trade and getting DJ Moore in there. Um, obviously, this is a team that, they, they may have made the most noise out of any team in like the first wave of the off season um, earlier this year. Right. I think that the thing about them is that with Justin Fields is that last year, obviously he, he kind of lit the world on fire uh, with, you know, his running ability, but you really didn't get a feel at all for his downfield passing ability. Like I, I compare it to the giants because um, uh, I got to step in here for a second, Jared, just because I, I only do this because I just got breaking news. Shout out from the AFC show, Danny. 
who sent me a thing that there apparently is a source. It's this is this is a Reddit source, so don't take it take it for what it is. Okay. But they're saying it's the same person who broke the Christian McCaffrey trade news that there is a chance that Nick Bosa is traded to an unnamed AFC team sometime this week because it appears that the Niners and Bosa are nowhere near a deal. So it's like a DeForest Buckner situation. Just wanted wow. to give some breaking news out there that it looks like Nick Bosa could be on the move potentially. We'll see if this happens, but this is the same person who broke the Christian McCaffrey news in San Francisco. So this is another San Francisco player. So we'll wow. wait to see what happens because obviously we know what happened. So I feel like me cutting you off wasn't the worst thing in the world. And the tweet too did come from um, a person um, – they're well it's a san francisco account but it's like a fully bay area thing but like i said too looks like the 49ers are not close to a nick bosa extension a bad offseason continues to get worse so we'll see what happens but wow who could it be it looks like a big player could be on the move that is a big i mean that's a big blow for san fram i'm really wondering who that afc team is that just landed him i mean afc you know you talk about the the, the gap between the two conferences going into this season but wow i mean if they have, a top contender just landed him? That's crazy. It doesn't seem like it's a done deal, but it looks like that I think John Lynch is starting to shop him around because okay. you're going to get picks for him. And if you're a team that's on the cusp of a Super Bowl window, you would go and make that killer move. That's a move that takes you from here to here because, like, with Kansas City, we saw what Chris Jones is capable of. Capable of. We spoke about this in the AFC show where losing him is going to be a big deal for the Chiefs. So we'll wait and see what happens, but I had to – bringing some breaking news that, look, a player like Nick Bosa could be out of San Francisco in just a few days. Maybe he goes down south with his brother in uh, L- L.A. It's funny you mentioned Kansas City. I was about to just say, watch it be Kansas City because the Chris Jones situation hasn't played out. Where to go? I was going to say, you know, I mean, man, if it's KC, whoo. I mean. I mean, as long as it's on an AFC team, that's all I care about. Yeah, we'd about. be looking at a uh, AFC, AFC East, excuse me. Literally, I, I got a message. So shout out, Danny. I say uh, sent during recording. So basically, broke it on the air. So like, we love that. But anyway, back to the Chicago Bears. Everyone, after that Nick Bosa trade bomb <laughs> or trade rumor bomb. Yeah, uh, be- oh, the Bears, the Bears. We're talking about the Bears. we're talking about contenders swapping swapping guys. You know, having impact on the playoff race. And now we're talking about the the Bears uh, who. I do think that they're going to compete. Um, I, I think that they're, you know, there should be an improvement from last year, but I, too, I agree. Too many question marks on field. I, de- I definitely think that um, uh, with him, you know, there's definitely a lot of comparisons you can make to, you know, Daniel Jones, where it's like, yeah, the running ability is there, but the elite, uh, you know, downfield passing, um, you know, ability we haven't fully seen come to the fruition. The difference being with Jones is that toward the end of the season, in particular, the playbook was expanded, and with my argument for Jones to people is always that he's able to look at he's not Mike Kafka. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, do, he does what's asked of him, you know? So yeah. when he's been called upon to make the throws, he can make the throws. I think with fields, the playbook was, you know, never, it never opened anywhere close to that. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who, you know, didn't even top, uh, didn't top 200 yards most games, most weeks. So it's definitely a stretch to say just because you, put these receivers on the team, it's suddenly going to change everything because you're talking about an entire redesign of the game script. So I think that with you're talking about the Lions and the Vikings, two teams that you know are fully capable of putting up 30 plus on a near weekly basis. So 
it's definitely, I think, too much of a stretch to put the Bears ahead of either of those teams. Yeah, the big thing. They also, go on, Matt. The, the big thing with the Bears is, I mean, you look at Justin Fields, he's going to be under some hot seats uh, this season. I mean, 5-20 and 20 as a starter, that's not good. So no. the Bears went out, obviously, and, I mean, they got Chase Claypool a year ago. They got DJ Moore now. They're trying to tool up that off. Yeah. They're trying to tool up that offense now in order to be like, hey, Justin Fields, we're giving you all the we- all the weapons we can get to give you. So that way you can't say, oh, I mean, y'all didn't help me out. That- that's kind of what it is. They're trying to see if Justin Fields is the guy. And this season will be the tell of that. And if he doesn't show some improvement in the winning categories and also uh, actually putting up some numbers, we might see the Bears go into a different direction soon. They're basically in the opposite of what the Cleveland Browns are, where if this year goes belly up for the Browns, it's fire a coach. If it goes belly up for the Bears, it's get another quarterback. But guess what? You don't have your oh, – wait, no, never mind. They do have two first-round picks next year because of Carolina, who – I'm looking at their schedule too. Man, the Bears, they play at the Chargers on Sunday Night Football. That's a game where, like, look, you could get exposed very quickly against a good team like that. But ultimately with Chicago – if they can show promise and steal some football games like they did last year beating New England, because um, that's the thing, too. There are three wins last year. Two, One was New England and one was San Francisco. The other, I think, was Houston. So if they can beat some like good teams, like obviously not Kansas City, but like if they can split with Minnesota, beat Detroit, for example, we can see what happens. But for the most part, you got to go out there and make do with what you got. You can't just sit and squander an opportunity if you're the Chicago Bears. That Bears. I just want to quickly thank the league for putting the Broncos-Bears game on October 1st at 1 p.m. Because both you guys know that last year, this game, we would have been forced to watch this in prime time. Because every Broncos game was in prime time last year because people did not know what they were getting with the with Russell Wilson on that team. And, uh, yeah, that thankfully that uh, dud is going to be in the 1 p.m. slot and fly well under the radar where it belongs. Yes, and also, though, they have the follow that Thursday, they play at the Commanders in primetime. And another game is Week 10, after going to New Orleans, they host the Carolina Panthers on Thursday Night Football, which Bryce Young and Justin Fields, you know, with, with Kirk Herbstreit calling that one, I'm okay with it. But, like, that Sunday Nighter against the Chargers, like, yikes. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But anyway, guys, Matt, this is your time to shine. Before we talk about all the other three teams – the Saints were a team that were very noisy this offseason. So I want to ask you, the floor is yours here. I'm actually going to do this for a second. I'm going to push Jared and I to the side if you're watching this on YouTube. And I'm going to let Matt explain to all of you guys what it's like to be a Saints fan and also to what his expectations are for the 2023 season. Matt Beast, take it away. Now let's hope the train doesn't interrupt me because the train's been going off here for a couple of minutes, for a couple of seconds now. Um, but yes, um, it is the Saints. They've made some moves after two seasons of being pretty mediocre um, around the seven win totals. And now um, we went out and got our quarterback, Derek Carr. Some people might say, oh, he's not really the guy. But I mean, when we've transitioned from Taysom Hill to James Winston to Andy Dalton, it's going to be an obvious upgrade. And in the preseason game that he played, he was looking really good. And all the reports and practices, the offense has been looking very smooth. Things have been looking good. He's been connecting already with Juwan Johnson because we know Derek Carr loves his tight end. See his time with Darren Waller. 
Um, we already know he's connecting with superstar Chris Olave. I expect that man to make another leap into uh, kind of a stardom tier of wide receivers just about because he is just that good. Um, the big question mark on the offensive side of things is Michael Thomas. What are we going to get from him this season? Because uh, he has gone for so long without really playing much football in a consistent fashion. Um, so will we see him return to form? Probably not. Will we see him be maybe 65 to 70% of what he was? That's something that could happen. And if it does, that'd be great. But even if he doesn't come through, they've kind of built up a young wide receiver core. Um, of course, they had Rashid Shaheed kind of break through last year. Uh, they have a rookie, A.T. Perry, who just made a team who looks pretty good and pretty solid so far. So there's definitely some options there on offense. The main question mark is uh, some of the things on the offensive line. That's been kind of shaky the past couple of years. Of course, Andres Pete, there's questions if he was even going to make the team kind of because – he was one of the one starters playing in the preseason game yesterday or last night or two nights ago. Uh, I, I lose track of days. but <clears throat> So there's question marks on some of the offensive line spots, uh, definitely with the uh, left tackle spot. We don't know if the second-year Trevor Penning is going to break through this year. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but, yeah, um, I'm excited to see what Derek Carr is going to bring to this offense. And, of course, we have the uh, running back situation with um, – Alvin Kamara getting the suspension, but we did get touchdown leader Jamal Williams from last year. Um, gotta love Jamal Williams. Uh, another guy who just loves anime unapologetically. He's so brash about it. I love it. Um, sitting there getting Pokemon collectibles from kids and giving them autographs. It's a great time. He's always a very fun presence as we saw how he was with the lions. And of course we have rookie Kendra Miller, but um, the offensive side of things, it's going to be interesting to see how things progress. And um, if things don't do well, we might need a new offensive coordinator because Pete Carmichael just might not be it. Um, as far as the defensive side of things go, we kind of hope the defense stays part of the course. This defense has been something that's been so consistent over the past couple years, one of the better defenses in the league. Um, we've had quite a few different changes on the defensive front. Of course, we spent our first two picks on the defense, on the defensive front with Brian Brissy, and then the other defensive end, end as well. His name escapes me at the moment, but um, <laughs> but the defensive line is definitely going to be something to watch as we had to bring in Kalen Sanders and then another defensive tackle to replace and retool our whole defensive line pretty much. Um, as far as linebackers go, you know, Demario Davis is still there. He's getting up there in age, but I believe he'll still be pretty pretty good. Um, kind of surprised Jalen Smith didn't make the team. Uh, I know he was on the Giants last season, but he was looking pretty good in the preseason, but I'm kind of surprised he didn't make it. But uh, Pete Werner and uh, Demario Davis definitely held that down. And, of course, one of the better cornerbacks in the league, Marshawn Lattimore, he's still going to be his thing. I believe he's probably the best player on this team currently. But as long as the defense stays the same and we see some improvements on the offense, I believe the Saints team could make a push for the playoffs, and it helps that they are in a weak division. And that's pretty perfectly, much uh, most of the Saints. You did really good. You did good. This is something I should have done for the AFC show. So the guys in the AFC show, I'm sorry, but I figured, you know what? Let's give this a soliloquy for Matt. Let him talk about his team. It's an idea I'm going to do next year. Let everyone speak on their team. Um, I will say this one thing about the Saints and you brought up that I love. I can't wait to see Trevor Penning play because I remember last year he had that interview where he basically came out and said his favorite part of football is – legally assaulting the dude in front of you and i'm like everyone's like this guy's a fucking weirdo he's crazy and i'm like he's a football player that's, yeah. that's what he is 
Um, one thing I'll say, too, is I still feel like Demario Davis is one of the most underrated linebackers in the NFL, both on and off field. Um, my, my big question is Michael Thomas, but I feel like I feel like everyone likes to think that Michael Thomas was a flash in the pan one good season, but he had a bunch of good seasons before. Mm-hmm. He had the cuckoo season in 2019, obviously breaking, I think it was Marvin Harrison's record. Um, and also, too, first way, Kazakaze, leader of the Hidden Village of the Dan. I know you're an anime guy, so I had to do that the best I can. <laughs> uh, Jamal Williams is a target I had for fantasy. I have high hopes for Chris Olave, too. I think he's wide receiver one by the end of the year. My only question with the Saints really is the tight end position. We'll see what it becomes, but I want to ask you this as well. Do you think Dennis Allen's on the hot seat this year, or do you think it could be – Is it? I think it's still Pete Carmichael calling the offensive plays. Yeah, Pete, Marco, yeah, so- Pete, Pete Carmichael's calling the offense. If the offense uh, falters, I believe Pete Carmichael will definitely be on the hot seat. As far as Dennis Allen's job – I believe uh, he's somewhat safe. I'm not going to say, like, if the Saints go out and win four to five games, anywhere around that territory, then he's definitely either going to have a very stern talking to or be on a very, very hot seat. But I don't think he gets fired this season unless things just go catastrophic, barring injury, of course. But if things just go catastrophic for some reason and they just are really, really bad, then you could see Dennis Allen gone this season. But I think if he wins around the six, seven wins, um, he might get another chance next season. But then that next season, you're looking at a much hotter seat. But I think uh, this uh, organization is going to give him the time to try to make his impression because I definitely think very highly of him being a coach for the Saints for such a long period of time. So I think he has a little bit of a window there. And as you said with the tight end, another thing I forgot to mention is uh, Jimmy Graham being back on the team after being gone from the Saints. I know some people might think, oh, maybe that might not be too much because, I mean, the guy's 36 years old now. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Some of the games he's making in the preseason game yesterday, granted it is preseason, kind of looked a little bit like old Jimmy Graham. But we're not going to get old Jimmy Graham. I know that. <laughs> but if if we get maybe – I could see him putting up four to five touchdowns this year, if not maybe six, maybe a little bit more. But I see him being somewhat of a factor. But definitely Jawan Johnson is definitely going to be one to look out for, I believe. The only other thing I was going to say with the Saints, and I love this right now, is on like obviously we're looking at win totals. Nine and a half is at plus 114. I feel like that's a very tempting number to take. Just because with the Saints, I'm going to say this right now, I feel like out of all the teams in the NFC, they're a dark horse that if – and also, too, I'll say this as well. Like, they're a dark horse. I don't know Super Bowl dark horse, but, like, a dark horse to be, like, in that conversation of, like, hey, they can make noise. But if it weren't for the DeMar Hamlin situation, I feel like if Derek Carr goes out there and gets him a division title and the playoffs, he would be next in line to win comeback player of the year. Obviously, Hamlin is going to be like Alex Smith in 2020. The second he steps on a football field, boom, he's got the award locked up. Like, just throw away the key. Um, I want to spend more time, too, on the Saints just because with the rest of the teams, like, I – Still don't know what to expect. I remember the three of us. Jared, do you remember when we did this two years ago? There was a team you and I both said that we thought would be a dark horse, but then we ate shit for that. This was the Carolina Panthers. Panthers. Carolina Panthers. <laughs> yeah. And they started 3-0. and Then they – which when then we learned, hey, they lost to the Jets, which we learned the Jets still weren't good. They yep. lost to the Saints, but then and the that's Saints. that's sort of the free fall. That's right, yeah. That was the Saints, but I believe, Matt, that was co- there was a lot of COVID in the Saints locker room that game. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I remember that. I remember that specific game because uh, for some reason the town I was in went on a some kind of a weird lockdown where, like, 
nothing was working TV or internet wise. So I was not able to watch the game, but I was listening to it in the car and it's very infuriating, but there was like a lot of COVID situation in that game. But yes, uh, that, that Panther season, it was very tainted because those first three wins were pretty iffy and we saw the uh, results of that. And then I remember they beat Houston and they lost to Dallas and that Dallas loss. I was like, you know what? We'll give them their credit. They hung with Dallas, but then they went two and 12 down the stretch. And we were just yes. like, oh, my own. But so with like, because that's the thing too, like this year, like with the NFC South, I'm not ready to like, like honestly, I think Tampa, I'm saying this right now, Chris Godwin's on a Buccaneer after 2023, maybe even sooner. I feel like he's the yeah, player they, that would get yeah, traded. Yeah. Um, Atlanta, I get the Bijan hype, but I don't like putting all that emphasis on a rookie that's not a QB, you know, just where it's like, you expect him to come out and, like, I'm not saying he's going to be, like, good, but I just don't see a world where he's, like, you know, an already a top three running back in the league. I can see him being in the top ten by the end of the season. I just can't see him being, like, you know, what, like, Nick Chubb or even people already saying, oh, yeah, he's got offensive rookie of the year locked up. I feel like, yeah, he's going to get the ball a lot, but I just feel like it's not fair to put all these crazy expectations on a rookie. Like, remember we did this to Kyle Pitts and everyone's saying – Oh, Kyle Pitts is a bust. Kyle Pitts is this. And I'm just like, guys, you got to give these players time to work and get into the NFL. It's not – it's going from – obviously, Texas is a good program, but the NFL is a man's game. And you're playing and not against kids anymore. You're playing against grown-ass men with families. So it's going to be interesting to see what Atlanta is like this year. Well, well, I mean, with Atlanta, it's a really interesting situation where you have – if there was a quality, like a real quality quarterback behind center – you're talking, you've got a potential top 10, maybe top five tight end, top 10 wide receiver, top 10, maybe top five running back. You know, if you honestly, you put Derek Carr on this team and the over under win total, I mean, I think that 9.5 would be, you know, negative money, but Desmond Ritter, and it really just begs the question, why? Why Bijan Robinson? Yes, potential generational talent looks like a monster, but when when that's your quarterback situation and Will Levis is sitting there at number eight, I, I don't understand that, especially considering this isn't a team. This is a team that was running the ball effectively last year. Tyler Algier, absolute steal. To me, 36 that's times a game was their right? average. 36 times a game. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, Algier uh, basically won the job from quarter from Patterson. And I mean, both those guys produced at various points last year. So to me, that's how you win with running backs is when you're able to assemble that kind of value committee. I mean, Algier was, what, like a fourth or a fifth rounder or something like that. And to me, I mean, I, I get the attraction of Bijan, but I just – I didn't agree with the pick based on all the other needs of this team. So I think this is just going to be a team that, you know, every every now and then there's going to be some flashy highlights, but I see the Saints as being the more complete team in terms of a threat to win the division – that being said, Atlanta, there is upside. So I'm going to pencil them at number two. I'm going to – I can figure them for maybe around eight wins. I could see it. They won seven last year. I think the Saints around 10 is a good number. You know, I, I definitely – Matt, I'm right with you. I think Olave is going to be an absolute monster this year. You know, people thought that Devontae Adams was going to fall off last year because of Derek Carr. And, I mean, he put up – you know, his numbers were just as good as ever. So – I think the same thing happens with Olave. If Michael Thomas is healthy, even better. Jamal Williams, love that for them. That, that's a great get for them, and it's great insurance behind Alvin Kamara. Great for so, fantasy, too. Yep. Oh, yeah, great for fantasy. And, and great for – get those two touchdown props in. 
because uh, he was he was a beast for those last year. So, yeah, I think the Saints are definitely the most complete team in this division. It just you know it feels like it's going to be a solid all around season for them. Uh, they they might win this division by two or three games. So right now, when I'm looking at the win totals, so Carolina right now is sitting at seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I would probably lean under for that one, honestly. I feel like seven and ten is kind of their seal, their their ceiling. But Atlanta's right at eight and a half. That's their win total right now. I also think this is a big year. Also, the Atlanta pick. As soon as you were saying like all their needs, they because that's what you have to do in the first round. You have to draft for a position you need, not mm-hmm. for want. And this is a position you wanted to draft. It's kind of like when Najee Harris went through two years ago, and now the Pittsburgh Steelers are already looking sick and tired of him. I'm not saying it's going to be the same thing, but like. You don't know. We, we can't control these things in the NFL. They also did add John New Smith in the offseason, but that was just a salary dump from New England. They did lock up, I believe, Chris Lindstrom this offseason as well, or Caleb McGarry, one of the two. But they still have a pretty good offensive line. With Atlanta, though, it's just that seat is boiling for Arthur Smith right now. I feel like they have to make some noise or he's he's gone completely. But with Carolina, though, like I do agree with you as well, but going back to the Atlanta part where there's going to be some games where they have some pretty, pretty good moments. But with Carolina, I just – you got to show it to me. Like, I feel like there's going to be, I feel like Bryce Young, I would, for, I don't know what the Carolina offensive line is. Like, I know they have Icky Aquanu, who they drafted in between that giant sandwich of KT and Evan, Evan Neal, which Jared, we're going to talk about them soon. Um, yep. But with the Carolina Panthers, I'm waiting for a game. Like, remember Zach Wilson, how he was always running, running around carelessly in his rookie season, and then eventually he got hurt? Yeah. I have that same worry and fear for, for Bryce Young, where, like, if you don't be careful or if the offensive line doesn't do a good job protecting him, it's the same thing. You're a you're a you're a very small human playing a man's game. There's gonna be some moments where he escapes it, but he's gonna have to take those welcome to the NFL hits, and that's something I don't wish upon my worst enemy. Exactly, and I mean, with the Panthers, the main worry, if I had if I had a worry for him, I mean, if they're struggling, great for me, um, but the worry. <laughs> The worry from an outsider's perspective or for a Panthers fan's perspective would be worrying about who are, who's going to be that playmaker on offense. I know they brought in Adam Thielen. I mean, he could be kind of just like one of your solid baseline guys who's always there to get a catch for you. But, I mean, outside of him on offense, I mean, Terrace Marshall, question mark, DJ Chart, kind of a question mark. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the running game, you have Miles Sanders, and, I mean, that's okay. Is but Chark out for the season? Um, Art is nah, he's he's questionable for uh, yeah. week one. Yeah, he's he's leading to play, but but yeah, Matt, I totally agree. I mean, uh, you look at this wide receiver room; it's a lot of twos. There's a lot of twos and threes I'm seeing here. You know, uh, Thielen, Shark, Terrace Marshall, Jonathan. My, my one of my buddies really likes Jonathan Mingo, but again, you know, rookie. You know, you got to see how it goes. You compare yeah. that to a bona fide number one like DJ Moore last year. I mean. You can't say right now that they're going to replace that production. Hayden Hurst is, you know, a solid tight end. Miles Sanders is good. But this just feels like it's going to be the same Panthers team from last year, you know. there's going to They're really going to struggle to move the ball in terms of the passing game. It's going to be just flashes. Rookie quarterbacks don't come in and dominate. People need to just let go of the narrative, like especially when they're coming into this kind of a situation on a team that's not loaded there's going to be growing pains. It's just it's just going to happen. That Panthers-Saint Monday Night Football game week two is going to be one to watch as well. They play Atlanta week one, but then they play Seattle, the Vikings, the Lions, the Dolphins before their bye week. So, like, they're potentially staring, I would say, 
two and four right in the face or even one and five at that point. So we'll see what it goes. But it's going to be one of those years where I think Carolina's in that same position as Chicago where it's like, look, if you can get to six and 11 or if you can be a seven and 10 football team, it's like, okay, hey, you're doing this. But then next year, it's like we want to see them continue to grow. I like the Jonathan Mingo pick. I don't like him as a wide receiver one. I just like it for the sense of he looks like he has the traits that maybe he can develop into a solid receiver one day. As for Terrace Marshall, uh, I think he needs – I think after this year, I think he's a change of scenery candidate kind of player. He's This is his third year, LSU talent, hasn't done a whole lot, so we'll wait and see what happens. But that's just my take on Terrace Marshall's situation. And I want to pivot quickly to Tampa because, like I said, I think it's just – it's scorched earther this year. I think the – did you guys hear about the Ryan Jensen surgery stuff where he's probably done – where his career is probably done? But he was basically <laughs> – he basically, instead of going for surgery, he took, like, uh, stem cells from, like, a woman who had, like, C-sections and their umbilical cords. It was, like, some weird therapy he was doing. Yes, uh, yeah, Sports yeah. Illustrated posted about, yep. Yeah, like, it was just, it was weird, but, like, at the same time, too, you feel bad for the guy. But I feel like for them, I think they're going to see the growing pains that the Patriots in 2020 should have gone through. Because I'm only saying that because, look, the Patriots season was terrible that year. But they were a seven and nine football team. I give that to Belichick. I feel like this team at best is a four to five win football team. Unless Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield, but I think we see Kyle Trask in there by like week six, which even the Buccaneers schedule at the Vikings versus the Bears versus the Eagles, Saints, and then they have a week five bye. And then after that bye week, you play the Lions, you play the Falcons, but then you have Thursday night football in Buffalo. Good luck with that one. It's yep, uh, going to get ugly. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, the Buccaneers are going to have that um, little hangover there. And, hey, uh, I mean, talking from like a Jets, Bills, or a Miami fan's perspective, it's good to have Tom Brady out of the division now, even though mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with him near as long as they did. Um, even though I can say the Saints, we kind of kicked his ass most of the time. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Bucks, they're going to have, uh, they're going to have a hard time getting back to what they were, but, uh, this is just step one for them and they just got to go out there and, uh, try to compete, I guess, and, uh, see where it takes them. And like you said, around the four win mark, I could see that for sure. Yeah. I'd say worst team in the NFC besides the Cardinals. I just, there's just no upside here. I mean, there's it's an aging, transitioning team. Um, obviously, you've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin there, but we've, we've seen it with the Falcons last couple of years. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, doesn't matter that they're there. There's nobody throwing the ball. So, you know, Baker Mayfield, I think, um, you know, I think that his career ended up, uh, you know, I think it started off okay. You thought maybe the Browns broke their terrible quarterback curse, but he's just kind of fizzled. And, uh, I mean, I think that he's – He's not the worst, but, uh, you know, certainly not capable of leading a team to a winning record in the NFL uh, based on the competition of the league. So, yeah, I think that uh, they're just in for a, a bad season. just is what it is. That, that's it. But anyway, do the same thing we did before for the NFC South, because last but not least, we have the NFC East. And, Jared, I'm going to put Matt away for a second. Actually, no, I'm going to keep Matt for this one before we put them away and give you the spotlight. Instead of telling us, like, hey – like obviously what Matt did, I want you to more or less compare what you think the Giants did in 2022, how will it transition to 2023, and how you think it can either, you know what, get better, where there's some areas of concern, or what your overall feelings are on the 2023 New York football Giants. 
All righty. So now the moment that I've been waiting for, why the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. Not really. But the Giants obviously last year took a huge step forward that most people did not see coming, uh, particularly everybody who isn't a Giants fan already. Um, basically, the Brian Dayball system we saw instant positive results. I think that the Giants showed what you can do when you take coaches from winning programs from all across the league, bring them together, and just trust the process, trust the system. The Giants showed that they were able to basically get away with not overhauling their roster. They overhaul their coaching staff, and almost everybody gets better, marginally better. I mean, we're, we're talking about Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, two guys that people thought were first-round busts, now locked up to very lucrative contracts. Andrew Thomas, another one. I think that uh, the, the team just took so many steps forward last year. They, they just seem like a solid all-around unit. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that they're a scary team, uh, but they're they're just kind of you know taking steps towards doing the right things on both sides of the ball. This year, they had a little bit more wiggle room in terms of the offseason cap space, so they made some solid additions. Nothing blow away. I think that the biggest acquisition was definitely Darren Waller, um, who, I mean, that's a big receiving target for this team. The only question mark is his health, but if he's able to stay on the field, that's a top five tight end, and Daniel Jones already loves him. Chemistry seems like it's going to develop pretty naturally over there. Jalen Hyatt was a really great value third-round pick in the draft. Paris Campbell filling the slot role nicely. Um, the offensive line added a huge piece. The most underrated get of the Giants offseason was John Michael Schmitz in the second round uh, because, you know, so far, you know, his performance has been rock solid. He looks ready for the NFL. And if he's able to hold it down in the middle, that's what this team has been missing for the last 10 years is interior offensive line depth. We, we've just – we've lacked, you know, any kind of support in the middle. It's been a sieve. And if we're able to, you know, if he shows up and Evan Neal takes a step forward because Andrew Thomas also had a really bad rookie year and improved steadily ever since. So Evan Neal is really going to be the X factor um, and Schmitz uh, for this offensive line. If you get those two guys playing well, you know, Andrew Thomas is holding it down. Now the Giants create an actual pocket. Now we have pass protection. Now you can really open up that playbook and really see what Jones can do in terms of throwing the ball downfield that you really only got to see in those games against the Vikings last year. And I just think with the additions that they've made at receiver and the, I mean, the money that they paid Jones, obviously they got a lot of, you know, confidence in him leading this offense. I definitely think that the Giants are going to be throwing the ball downfield a lot more this year. Um, and of course, you know, Saquon coming back essential between Saquon and Jones, you're talking about, um, once again, the potential for 2,000 combined rushing yards between those guys. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about this offense. I, I don't think it's a scary offense. I don't think it's an intimidating offense, but I think it's just an offense that's going to surprise people this year and definitely has the, the ability to win more games than not. Defensively, um, I'm expecting big things out of you know Thibodeau and Aziz on the edges. Depth is a huge concern for this defense. Up and down, the starters are solid from the front seven to the secondary. There, there's some question marks back there, but as long as Adore Jackson and Xavier McKinney stay healthy, we're going to have a chance. Last year when those guys were hurt, the defense turned into a sieve because we know that they can hold it down up front, but back, you know, back there in the secondary is definitely the main concern. Adding Deontay Banks in the first round made a ton of sense for that reason. 
So if him and Adore are able to form a nice one-two punch at corner, that's going to round out the defense. Who's behind them is definitely biggest area of concern on the whole team, really. It's just, the you know, if anybody gets hurt on defense, this team could be in some trouble. Isaiah Simmons was a sneaky get from the Cardinals. I mean, that's a recent third-round pick, a recent first-round pick that you got for only a seventh-rounder. So you definitely have to take the chance there. And I think that he could actually fit in pretty nicely with Wink Martindale's defense because Wink is going to deploy that guy all over the field. Um, you know, he just loves to blitz, loves to leave his um, corners on an island. So I expect him to be seeing some action at linebacker um, and safety. And, yeah, I mean, I think that the Giants are in for, you know, I mean, this is probably the high end compared to uh, what, you know, if you compare to, you know, what Vegas has them at, you talk to most experts. I see 11 wins for this team. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's their ceiling. Maybe 10 to 11 is more the conservative uh, prediction. But I'm looking at a nine-win team from last year, and all they did was add in every area. And, again, the con- I go back to the confidence in this coaching staff to come up with quality game plans. I trust Dayball to – you know, go out there and lead this team against just about anybody in the league and, you know, have a good chance of competing. So is this team going to run away with the top seed in the NFC? No. Are they going to lose some games that they shouldn't? Of course they will. But I think that this team is going to leapfrog the Cowboys. I think they're going back to the playoffs to make some noise. 11-6 and six for the Giants is my prediction. Couldn't have said it better myself as someone who is not a Giants fan. Um I like the part about Schmitz because, look, that was a sneaky good get. We obviously know the offensive line for years. If I've seen Giants fans, I don't know if Jack – like, you know how, like, for example, like, most fan base, like, it's like Chiefs Kingdom, Bills Mafia, Patriots Nation, like, the Hudak crew. I don't know what Giants fans are referred to as, like, a nickname or even, like, like you know, like Broncos country. Like, I don't know what the Giants are for that. So I guess we've kind of adopted, like, I mean – I mean, Big Blue Wrecking Crew was more of like a name for the team. I, I don't think that like the Giants fan base really um, has like that kind of identity. So yeah, Let, let's yeah. let's call it Giants Twitter because I started doing that where I refer to fan bases just by what I see on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, I look at the New York Giants as a team where look, there's a lot of potential there. It's just I think now that Jones has got his money, it's can you do it again? Can you go out and deliver a standing ovation worthy encore? You know, it's not knocking or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, look, hey, it's easy to do it once. It's a little tougher now when it's like, hey, you got the divisional round game. We all know what happened. But Minnesota, you guys took care of business against them. Won a lot of games last year, like sneakingly, like the Tennessee game, like the Baltimore Ravens game, too. That's another one people don't talk about. But it's just good time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing where I look at with the New York Giants where it's ba- – and also if you're balancing that schedule out early because obviously you go out to the desert in Arizona and then you play San Francisco in a short week, so a bit of a West Coast trip. How do you balance that? I think that week one game against Dallas is – they're a Giants. I feel like they're a team we're going to learn a lot about quickly. Like we're going to discover quickly who they are and their identity. And one of the things I'll say is I like your Evan Neal comments just because I saw traits in him where I'm like he has the ability to be a – Bang and right tackle. It's just it's up to him. And I, I'm trying to blank. I'm blanking on the guard situation. I just know that Giants fans are not happy with Mark Lewinsky. That's the only thing I know with, with the uh, with, the, with the offensive line. But I like Schmitz, um, Saquon. I feel like look, he's he's your security blanket to have there. 
And my only worry with Darren Waller is just from, I know from fantasy football perspectives, he has one week where he's like on fire. Then he has one week where he's just, he's, 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 he's hidden. You can't find him. You can't see him. He's, he's John Cena. You, you, you can't see me. But um, so that's just what I want to say about the Giants. But the one thing I'll say is too, FanDuel right now, they're at seven and a half on their win total. Yeah. I feel like that's, I don't, I feel like people are expecting I, I didn't, I, It makes no sense to me at all. Like, you know, I, I've been screaming about this for the last, you know, month or two, ever since I was first checking the lines with Danny. Um, I, I think that the Giants, they might be the most underrated team in the league by Vegas. I, I simply have no clue how you can look at this team and say they're going to be worse than last year. I mean, unless something catastrophic and unforeseen happens, seven and a half. And and my predicted and I I mean I recognize the eleven wins is probably is on the higher end of projections. I, I do recognize that. But for yeah. that to come in at like plus five hundred, I think is kind of crazy. To me, it just you know yes, it, it's a team that's probably lacking a little bit of flash. You know, in terms of you know it's. It's hard to look at a guy, at anyone other than Saquon and say, yes, I expect this guy to dominate the league. But I think that apart from that guard situation, which I'm glad you touched on because there's definitely some concern there. Um, Lewinsky, not it. Um, Bredesen, okay. Lemieux, terrible. So that's been an always area. Always hurt. Yeah, always hurt. And yeah, there's um, there's not much there to work with, but. Uh, again, you know, with the the pieces that they had last year, it was enough to win nine games. And um, I, I just think that with the the beefed up, uh, you know, the depth that they've added to their receiving room, um, you know, guys like uh, you know Isaiah Hodgins, who was their most reliable possession receiver, re-signing Darius Slayton, who has always been a favorite target of Jones, Daniel Bellinger, um, you know, as a TE two, actually kind of sneaky. Um, he was decent, you know, good hands last year uh, before he got <coughs> injury in that Jaguars game. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see like you know just a lot of a lot of decent pieces around here, uh, nice like, you know complimentary pieces um, all across the offense. Um, Wandell Robinson as well, you know, he just got activated off the pup list. So there's definitely some potential here. I'm, I'm, with Wandell Robinson, I'm not ready to say anything yet, just because ACL injuries are a sneaky beast to like kind of conquer. So I yeah. feel like him and Sterling Shepard, we don't know what to get, but I feel like look, Jalen Hyatt, there's a lot of hype. Isaiah Hodgins, you know what you're getting. And then, like we said to Darren Waller, he's there. But that's the one thing I would say if there's a concern with the Giants, it's mainly the guard play. If you Because I always say this, too, because, like, I feel like not enough people talk about the big boys up front. So is what it is. Um, and also, if I was going to – because I want to say – I want to save the other two teams for last just because, look, they're the better teams. I'll quickly say this about Washington. I feel like Washington will be, like, that 8-9 win team where – it's like, hey, we see improvement. They look really good, but I think Ron Rivera is probably out, and they'll probably have a new name again, probably to start of twenty twenty four. That would be pretty rough. Uh, I do want to add on with the uh, Giants talk real quick. Uh, Absolutely, I will say I do. I do like. I do like the Giants. I do like this whole division as a whole. I do think you could have three teams from this division making the playoffs. Um, I would probably like Jared say probably about 11 wins. I'd say probably about 10. I think they're about in the same win range like the Saints would be. Um, but the thing is, the Giants play in a much harder division than the Saints do. Yeah. Um, with the Giants, I will also add that I have officially bought stock into Daniel Jones technically because uh, I traded away my Josh Allen and Dynasty and got Daniel Jones. Granted, I got A.J. Brown and Travis Kelsey and Saquon Barkley along with that. But (laughs) um, I I do buy into the Daniel Jones hype. I do think he could be pretty good. And granted, you do see all the stats and all the things like, here's Daniel Jones without Saquon Barkley. 
here's Daniel Jones with Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Granted, they do bring back Saquon Barkley this year. We'll see how it goes next year. We know the running back drama has been crazy this uh, offseason, but, uh, I mean, Saquon's going to be back, so I think the Giants' offense should still be looking as 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 it was last season. Um, but with the Commanders, yes, uh, it's going to be a let's see how Sam Howell does uh, show. Uh, and, I mean, uh, Ron Rivera is even saying, uh, if I knew he was this good, I would have started him sometime last year. But, yeah, it's just uh, kind of a wait and see with the Commanders. They're kind of just that one lone team in the division that you're just like, eh, I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, with the Commanders, I mean, I, I think it's the short end of the stick. It's very hard, you know, even for, you know, even to get eight wins as a last place team, it, it, just because of the division that they play in. And I mean, they don't, it, it's certainly not a roster that's devoid of talent or anything like that. And this is a team that won eight last year. Um, but again, just due to the, due to the competition of the division, it's, um, you know, I mean, it's fair to say they're probably going to be hovering around that area, but I think eight wins might be their ceiling just because of how I don't see them being better than the Cowboys or the Giants and certainly not the Eagles. Yeah, that's, that's just it. It's like it's like the Patriots syndrome with them where it's like, hey, you have a good team, you have some tools, you have some cool pieces, but it's just who's around you is only going to bring you down. That's just, that's just it. Like the Commanders, I'll say this too, they can't afford to lose any of those like games that are viewed as like wins. Like the people who are penciling them in to win, you, you gotta win those games. Like if say for example they play Arizona week one, you that's a game you gotta win. Um, I'm gonna rip off the band-aid right now because I have some takes on this team coming up. Jared, you're gonna hate me for saying this, but I feel like throughout this offseason, and especially with the trade that happened on Friday. Is Dak Prescott either is he just is he a quarterback we figured out or because I feel like he's a quarterback that's I feel like he's very much underappreciated for what he can do on the field. You know, might be surprised to hear this. I I would agree with you. I th- I think Dak Prescott is a rock solid quarterback, and I, and I think that he kind of you know he uh, he catches a lot of flack. I mean, it's similar to the Tony Romo thing, right? Where yeah. you know. Um, I think that you're talking about, you know, really there's a lot of similarities. I mean, both guys um, have been, you know, they went to the playoffs, um, you know, more often than not, but just can't get over that divisional round hump, right? So then you start pointing fingers and like, oh, this guy must suck. But I mean, I think that Dak is a guy who, um, yes, you know, is his, down, is his downfield accuracy kind of a hit or miss at times? Sure. Um, you know, obviously he yeah, hasn't, uh, you know, won the big one yet. But I don't think that you can look at him and be like, this is a guy that you can't play that doesn't give you a chance to win most weeks. I think that there's other areas of this team that have needed to be addressed for a while now. Um, And there might have been a couple seasons where it it could have been there and they just didn't execute. Um, Stars just didn't align. But I I don't look at, you know, them trading for Trey Lance or anything like that and being like, oh, yeah, he's coming for Dak's job. I mean – Dak, you know, he's had a solid career in Dallas. Maybe, maybe they're never going to win a Super Bowl, but I, I don't think you can look at a guy like that and be like, oh, man, that, that the one thing holding us back is that quarterback. Yeah, I definitely yeah, I agree. agree. Yeah, it's just – oh, Matt, do you have anything else to add to that? Or? Uh, I was just going to say I pretty much agree with that, with the takes on Dak. I think he does get a lot of uh, hate. But, I mean, when you play on the Cowboys – there's this huge giant microscope that you're sitting under. And I mean, it it can be that way with both the Cowboys and the Giants. They're both two teams that, I mean, it's some of the things that come with being a New York team. 
and of course, some of the things with being on the Dallas Cowboys, uh, there's always just that huge amount of scrutiny that you can lend yourself to by being on that team, especially being the leader of that team and being the quarterback. Um, but yeah, I agree. That's just it. It's just it's where you play. Like I feel like if Dak Prescott was, let's just because we started with them and because we love to rip on them tonight. If Dak Prescott was the quarterback for say the Arizona Cardinals, I don't think it's viewed as heavily, and he's put in the right conversation. But also too, the thing that people were saying, and Mike Florio said this yesterday with Jerry Jones, is Jerry's never had his guy since Troy Aikman left. It's always no. been like, look, Tony Romo, undrafted free agent. Remember 2014, he wanted Johnny Manziel so bad. And I'm getting Zach Martin, which, look, that's a win. Zach Martin's going to Canton one day. Yeah. And then 2016, they wanted Paxton Lynch. Well, guess what? Paxton Lynch is out of the NFL now, and you ended up with Dak Prescott. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think Trey Lance is a threatening option for them. I'll also say this, too. I know there's a whole talk about him wanting to get paid more and all this other stuff, but, like, you got a wide receiver that's going to want a lot of money soon. You've got a defensive edge who's probably going to say, hey, I want $30 million a year starting next, like starting in a couple of years. So Dallas, and they also have skill positions at like every single level. It's just tight end is my big concern with them because Dalton Schultz is gone. That was a security blanket last year, even though Dalton Schultz had the, what, for as much as people want to clown on that Zeke being center play, Dalton Schultz not getting his feet in bounds was probably more killer and more detrimental to them losing in the playoffs last year than that stupid play at the end of the game. That was just a desperation, fuck around and find out style of football play. Yeah. Yeah, and, and let's just be clear here on, you know, with the Cowboys, Zeke, although, you know, everybody's, you know, talking about his, you know, decline and everything like that, and you see where he is now, he's kind of gone from elite running back to um, now, you know, not even a starter on the Patriots depth chart and everything like that. Him and Tony Pollard, they complemented each other pretty nicely last year. There was still production to be had out of Zeke. And I definitely question whether Pollard is up for an increased workload uh, without him in the picture. So I definitely think Zeke leaves a void in this team. I think, you know, Dalton Schultz leaves a void in this team. Um, I think that the Cowboys are still going to be pretty – they're going to be pretty good this year. I think that they can still – you know, they're going to – it's going to be them and the Giants neck and neck for, um, you know, wild card positioning. I could see them both getting in for sure. I think the Cowboys' floor is nine wins. I, I think that they're still probably going to win maybe nine or ten games. Um, I, I think that's a step backwards from last year, but this is still a team that's going to compete. There's still weapons there. Um, I do think that, you know, there's some voids left by the guys that I just mentioned, but um, and, you know, obviously losing some veteran pieces as well as the team ages. Um, but there's, there's still more good than bad here for sure. They also, I'm looking at their schedule. They're, they have their bye week seven. Their first six weeks also, they've got some heavy lifting. They've got one pretty much gimme game. They've got the Giants on Sunday Night Football week one. They play the Jets in that 425 slide. They go to Arizona. They host New England. They play San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. They go to the Chargers for Monday Night Football, which that's a home game, let's be real. So they do not play a 1 o'clock football game until week 8. They're either playing at 4 o'clock or they're playing at 8 o'clock. So they're under the, mic the microscope. So if things go south there, it gets ugly. But then, And then after that, they play the Eagles, the Giants. But then they get a little bit of a lull with the K. They get the Panthers and they get the Commanders, which is the Thanksgiving game, Seahawks. But then to finish their season, this is a fun little gauntlet they have in December. They play the Eagles, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Lions. That December, there are a lot of teams with our Decembers where – 
That's why I'm saying like those, that stretch in September and October before their bye, they got to go into their bye week, I think, at least 4-2 and two or 3-3 three and three worst case scenario to still be in that conversation of for sure you're going to be making the playoffs. Because come December, you got to have those early wins in case you'll lose a couple of games there. Because let's be honest, I don't see a world where they go into Buffalo and beat the Bills. And I don't see a world, and I can see a world where you know what? Hey, the Lions, they the Lions come into Dallas to upset them because that's probably going to be a game that means a lot for both teams, whether it's for divisional or for wild card rankings. Yep, that's true. And I mean, uh, uh, of course, as always, uh, the thing is just seeing how the Cowboys do this year and seeing if they can play up to expectations and continue to build on the strong year. But like Jared was saying, I could see it being a slight downtick based on those uh, key losses, um, but not a very strong downtick. Like I could say, I could see three teams out of this division making the playoffs. But, um, yeah, I, I would have the Cowboys kind of around that same area, but I think they're going to finish third in the division, but right behind the Giants, maybe like a game behind the Giants. I, I see it being like one team will be like – it's like 9 to 11 wins, I think, is the area for both teams, what seems the most realistic. Um Anyway, to end it off, we got the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, do we think that – I know they have all this hype, but do we think that – I can see them losing a couple games early on to where people are like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And I only say that too because I know they play the Patriots week one. But, like, when I look at Philly's schedule, Patriots, Vikings, Buccaneers, Commander – okay, they have a pretty easy schedule. But, like, I can see a couple <laughs> of these games where it's like, you know, that Vikings game where it's like all of a sudden, hey – Either not like that you lose, but like it's a little close for comfort and all these Viking fans or not Vikings, Eagles fans are just kind of like, hey guys, what's going on? But then come like end of October, November, they kind of find the gas pedal and they just take off. Yeah, they're yeah, I mean, personally, I wasn't really impressed by the Eagles, um, you know, uh, that much last year. Um, I think that this year they're probably headed for regression, you know, maybe around like six wins, maybe seven. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. All right. It, you know, it pisses me off how loaded this team is, all right? Ugh. But you know what? I believe in the law of averages. And unless you're Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't trust for a second you're going back to the Super Bowl. So you can cut that out right now. So the Eagles, nonetheless, are going to be a top contender. I mean, they're going to be the, they're probably going to be the top seed in the NFC. Um, but, I mean... It's hard to repeat the same success on back-to-back years. How many times do you see the same team as the top seed, you know, uh, back-to-back or back-to-back Super Bowls or anything like that? I'm going to still project 12 or 13 wins for them. They're still too loaded across the board. But I'm going to predict they're not going to go back to the Super Bowl. I think the same. I honestly – I've been saying that. I don't think – like, I know everyone's saying, like, oh, they're a Super Bowl team, this, this, this. I think they're a team that they lose out of the NFC Championship game or they lose in the divisional round. Like, like I also say that whole like er, like early start thing just because you always see teams like that who went to the Super Bowl the year prior kind of have a bit of a stumbler out of the gate where it's just like, hey, you're supposed to win or hey, you're supposed to blow that team out. Like week one against New England, that spread of that game is drum roll, please. Philly by four and a half. I I can honestly see a world where Philadelphia wins, but. New England covers that four and a half number. I don't think it's a blowout. I just think that early on teams are going to kind of know what's going on. Unless, look, for all we know, this could be a monster team. This is a monster team on paper. I just think with Philly, you can't always say 
Kansas City is different because we know what Kansas City is. They're the class of the NFL. But with Philadelphia, it's, hey, you did it once. It's like the New York Giants metaphor of Daniel Jones, Jared, where it's like, hey, you did it once. Go out there and give us another encore. Because there's always these teams every year it happens in the NFL. Now, I'm not discrediting the Eagles, but I'm just saying this, where you say you're going to get back and you say you can do it again. But it's easier said than done, especially in the NFL. There's always teams that have that Super Bowl hangover. You just don't know it until you see it. Yeah, and you, you gotta you gotta think back to the draft, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, the Eagles had this amazing draft." Of course, they had these guys that kind of fell to them, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. Uh, you kind of wonder how they're going to factor in. Of course, they brought back uh, the staples with Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey. They pretty much just look retooled and ready to go. And I mean, this team, like Jerry was complaining about, I'm sure if they were in the NFC South, I'd be complaining about it too, with <laughs> just how loaded they are on paper. Um, it's just crazy. And it just seems like they've just gotten even a little bit better. Um, honestly, you could see that. But um, like you said, you do see some kind of, some some years where these teams that were so good last season have some hiccups. And I mean, it's the NFL. At the end of the day, um Sometimes the parity between some of these teams isn't as high as it seems at some point, especially early on in the year when all these teams think, hey, we can do something this year, even if you're sitting there at one of the worst teams in the league by the end of the season. Um, everyone starts out hopeful at the beginning of the year. Um, but, yeah, I think this this Eagles team is definitely going to be contending for that number one spot. I know a lot of people have it between them and the 49ers as kind of the race and I think just the fact that they got that quarterback that led them all the way there, and, I mean, you got to just love Jalen Hurts. He has a crazy story to him for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think – All right, let me, let me – I got to put this out there right now. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is Daniel Jones with better wide receivers. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Hey. The take right there. I, I definitely wouldn't be the one to prove you wrong on that because I would not have the stats on that. We'd have to call in some another person on that to prove you wrong on that. Um, but it's definitely a take for sure. Um, Boy, so yeah. day. I've seen the tape on both. And th this year, if our offensive line shapes up, yeah, that's another thing. He's got a stone wall in front of him. Like, I mean, how can you fail? He's good. Don't get me. He's good, but he is he's possibly put in the best possible situation to succeed out of any quarterback in the league. It's that's a very valid opinion that like look, you put you put Patrick Mahomes in front of that offensive line, it's goofy cuckoo. It's like it's not even a fair fairness thing at that point. I, I really like that take. Like, he throw like a hundred touchdowns. Yeah, you exactly. You have Lane Johnson, you have Landon Dickerson, you have Jordan Mailata. You have Jason Kelsey, and there's someone else I'm blanking. Oh, uh, there's someone else I'm blanking on. But, like, and then even still on the other side of the ball, it's just like, hey, we're going to rebuild the Georgia defense plus Hassan Reddick, plus Darius Slay, plus James Bradbury. I think James Bradbury is still there now. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just, I think, I just, I'm, I'm not here to say that they're going to be bad. I'm just saying that I feel like there's going to be some challenges for them when it comes to playing teams that are lesser than them. That, look, those are the games that you got to go out there and just whoop ass. I can see a, a time frame where it's like, hey, or the universe, excuse me, where it's you're not exactly whooping ass. You're winning games, but you're winning closer than you should be, which then we all know what Philly radio and Philly sports fans are like, where it's at the point of, hey, why aren't we doing what we're supposed to be doing? 
But then, like I said, then there's a game where it's like, hey, Dallas, Sunday Night Football. I'm just saying that because, look, I feel like every team in the NFC East plays Dallas on Sunday Night Football. Um, where then they go out there and they win like 45 to 10. Like, you know, that's just the world I see with the Philadelphia Eagles where I can see a start where it's like, hey, you played the Patriots close, you played the Vikings close, but then you go out and you cook the Buccaneers for dinner. The, the one thing that I'll, I'll give the Eagles um, that, that I think maybe uh, some people aren't speaking to um, on a positive note, DeAndre Swift, um, getting him, making him RB1, that could wind up being uh, one of the more underrated moves of the offseason because I feel like Swift, you know, for some – I don't know why Detroit never had the confidence to feed that guy because whenever he gets the ball in his hands, he seems to go off for at least 20 yards – so, you know, if he's able to ball out and, you know, shove that in Detroit's face, for him, I mean, I think that would be pretty cool. I, I think that he's um, a really underrated running back in this league. 100%. But my thing take is, though, too, I still say this. I'm going to go back to Detroit for a quick second. Their running back room this year is worse than it was last year. I know Jameer Gibbs looks like a great talent, but give me Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift over David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs any day of the week. That's just something exactly. I'm going to say. Yep. That's something I'm going to say. But, no, I think Swift will cook in the good sense in Philadelphia. Anyway, gentlemen, both preview shows in the bag. This has been episode number 242 of YWC Football Talk. Tomorrow we're taking football things north of the border as it obviously is the last weekend before NFL football. But the CFL, the Canadian Football League, a league that I cover on a regular basis now, has their biggest weekend of the year that's not the Grey Cup. So Sarah said we'll be here with me tomorrow to talk about all that stuff to get you guys ready for Labor Day. But anyway, guys, take care. Have a good night. Both preview shows in the bag. You love to see it. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.